When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The sun is the nothing personal word of the day for Thursday, February 9th, 2023. Good morning, everybody. We are live on a Thursday because Coke and I were up in the middle of the night as Kevin Durant got traded to the Suns, and we said, this is too good to be true. Is it possible? So let me explain what happened here because the sun is the center of the universe. The sun is Phoenix, the Suns. Right now, if you're not in Phoenix, where are you? What are you doing? I'm sitting here in the Northeast, freezing my kishkas off, not in the valley, not climbing Camelback Mountain after a late night of partying. There's a PGA tournament. There's the Super Bowl. This is Super Bowl week. And everybody today is gonna to be talking about the NBA, everybody. And then you've got Kevin Durant being traded in the middle of the night, our time, to the Phoenix Suns. Does the name Matt Ishbia mean anything to you? Remember Robert Sarver and he had to sell the Suns and Ishbia said, I'll buy him for $4 billion and the transaction happened super quickly and the only way those transactions happen quickly is if the buyer agrees to all of the seller's demands. All of them and quickly. It's not like drafts are going back and forth. It can take months. I am right now, I have a laptop. I wish you could see this. And it's resting on two binders that are, four, they're this thick, four inches thick each. And they're the closing binders of the transactions, one to buy the Expos and one to buy the Marlins and one to sell the Marlins, but that one is behind me. So they're about yay big, right? If you're listening to this later, then you don't know what yay is. Yay big. There's papers. There's sentences, and in every sentence, there's a negotiation. And you go back and forth on what gets paid when, on little things like purchase price adjustments, on, little, on representations and warranties. What are you saying, Robert Sarver? Are there any skeletons in your closets? What happens when I move my stuff into your office? Am I gonna find termites or notes or a buzzer that locks the door behind me? I gotta know it all. Or you can be a buyer where the seller says, hey, I'm selling you this team and you're getting it as is. Here's the form of the agreement, sign at the bottom line. Here's the wire instructions. Let's go get approved by the NBA and you've got yourself a team. Bing, bang, tick tock, boom. The NBA holds a meeting post haste. Proskauer Rose gets all the documents together. They hold the meeting. Who wants to vote for a $4 billion Suns valuation? But wait, aren't they getting the NBA team, the WNBA team also? Yeah, who cares? It's $4 billion for the Phoenix Suns. Your teams are all worth way more. Ready to vote? Go. Yes, yes. Next. Yes. Dallas, of course. Yes. Cleveland, abstain. What? Matt Ishbia was approved 29 to 0. 
just in the last few days. One abstention. That's because Dan Gilbert also does mortgage lending and Matt Ishbia does mortgage lending. So I guess they're competitors. So he said, Dan Gilbert said, I know what to do. I'm gonna abstain. That'll show him. The New York Yankees, side note, Coca, the Yankees always used to abstain. George Starbender would sit in an owner's meeting and there'd be a vote on something totally innocuous. Let's call to a vote whether or not tomorrow is Thursday. Atlanta, yes. And they go on and on and on. Yankees, abstain. <laughs> what? Why? I spoke to George about that many, many times. And he said, because I don't want people to know where I stand. I said, where you stand, like on whether tomorrow's Thursday, you wanna make an issue of that? God forbid, when George passed away, Hal was much better about actually putting his vote in. But anyway, so Dan Gilbert abstains, who cares? Ishbia walks in and here's how that works. So once the documents are signed and the money changes hands, that's the key. There's approval by the NBA, then it gets funded. Robert Sarver gets $4 billion minus debt, minus purchase price adjustments, and he hits refresh on his, on his computer, or somebody does, or his wife does, anybody does, and the money's in, and then they clear out. In comes Ishbia. Is this my office? Hell yeah, it is, come on in. And he's got boxes, and he's got his pens, and he's got his pictures of his family. If he has a family, I don't know anything about it. Getting comfortable, and he picks up the phone, and he says, hey, uh, can you get me uh, our GM? We're live, right, Coca? James Johnson, that's the wrong name. I feel like that's the wrong name. It feels like the wrong name, but he's the former Heat player. Anyway, get, get me the GM. Picks up the phone and he says, all right, here's the plan. I wanna win a championship right now. Well, listen, you know, we have a team right now. We have Chris Paul getting a little older. Devin Booker's a little hurt, but we've got the makings of a very good team here. And I think that we ought to just take a minute and let's see where we are. And then Ishbi interrupts him and says, here's how it's gonna work. And new owners do this. It's called new owner-itis. It's the greatest disease that can ever be uh, for a fan base. You want your new owner to have new owner-itis because it means that they wanna go big immediately. They wanna prove, they wanna pee around the whole office. That's what they do. They go around peeing saying, this is mine now. Oh, I am the owner of the team. We will make a trade. Hey, what's going on over there in Brooklyn? Well, they just traded Kyrie Irving. Yeah, but doesn't Durant want to get out too? Let's get Durant. Well, we've tried to get Durant and we know he wants to play here, but they're really asking for way too much. I really don't think we should do that. Hold on, I've got this. The owner calls up Joe Sy and says, Joe, it's Matt. What's shaking? Want to do some Monty Hall? Yeah, I know we each have GMs, but screw them. Let's do it ourselves. I like when owners do that. There's a lot more than is ever reported of owner v owner contact during these trade negotiations. And it comes with huge risk for front offices. Because often when you are doing trade calls, you're on speaker and you generally announce who's in the room, but not everybody who's in the room. So you say, yeah, I'm here with my AGM or you name a few names, I'm here with my head scout or sometimes even the manager or the head coach. You never mention when the owner is listening in on the call, ever, because the owner is used as a last minute sort of defense of a trade where you say, yeah, we have agreement, but I still need to get owner permission. OP, owner's prerogative, owner's permission. You use OP a lot when you run a team. 
So you say, yeah, we've got a deal, but let me just check one last time with the owner. But you know very well the owner what the owner is going to say because the owner has been involved, if not in the room. But when owners speak to owners alone, you never know exactly what is said between owners because 99 times out of 100, when an owner speaks to an owner and then reports to his president GM, there are two separate reports that come out of that call. So Joe Sy gets off the call and calls Sean Marks and says, listen, uh, we got something here. I, I think we can get Durant to Phoenix and I think we can get several first round picks and that may be it. And I think that we should think about that. And then Matt gets off the phone and says to his GM, listen, we can get him. And all we have to give up, this is really it. They are demanding, I know it sounds crazy, but they're demanding Bridges. And the GM says, well, I don't think we should trade Bridges. All right, hold on, let me call Joe back. Hey, Joe, I know you want Bridges, but we're not willing to give him. And then they go back and forth like this. And this is all being reported as all these calls are happening. They're happening late night until finally, Here's how those calls end. When one of the owners says to the GM, get it done. I don't care what you have to give, I want Durant. And the reason he wants Durant is that his view is that when he steps into Phoenix as an owner and he looks at his team, he looks where they are in the Western Conference and he says, I don't wanna wait. I wanna go for it all. I want the opportunity by chance to be the favorite and then be the big man on campus and be a first year owner who takes over in the middle of a season and wins a championship. But what about the future? Doesn't matter. Talk about a difference in how sports is run now. It is so focused on now with almost a reckless indifference to later because billionaire owners at the end of the day are fans. So the trade that was agreed to in the middle of the night, sending Kevin Durant to Phoenix, Mikkel Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, who's been sitting out all season because Phoenix couldn't trade him and he wouldn't play for Phoenix anymore, and wait for it, four first round picks. That's Bridges, Johnson, Crowder, four first round picks, that's seven bodies. Then a 2028 pick swap, that's still seven bodies because that's one for one. And they get back Durant and Warren the Nets too. So it's a net of six to the Nets. And everyone is applauding right now. They're waking up in shock saying, what an amazing deal for the Phoenix Suns. And I grant you, given the position the Nets were in, the fact that they were able to secure that much from the Phoenix Suns is a small miracle because it certainly seems as though Joe Tsai had come to the realization that there was nothing he could do with Durant and he was going to have to acquiesce. We're talking about a Nets team that signed a big three in Harden, Irving, and Durant. And only three years later, they're all gone. It's like it didn't even happen. It's like they're at the craps table in Vegas and there's like a, a seven that comes up before you get a point or snake eyes. And all of a sudden uh, you say, apologize dice. And so that's what they said. They said, we're gonna apologize for that big three and we're gonna start with Ben Simmons. We're gonna get all our picks back and we're starting over. What an amazing thing for Joe Sy to have to acknowledge that his pie that he put together, the way he formulated his team was a failure. 
It is a bad day when you have to admit that your plan didn't work. I had a lot of those bad days. You look at yourself in the mirror and you decide how you're gonna deal with the Band-Aid. Are you gonna rip it off and go full 2012 and trade the team or go full 2023 like the Nets are doing? Do you do it one hair by one hair, which is less pain, but longer? And you look at yourself and you wonder, do I have the wrong people around me? Am I not making the decisions correctly? Am I not listening to the right people? Am I in a situation where I can't win? Or am I in a situation where my people made the right decision, but the players have underperformed? Did my people make the wrong decision? And the players overperformed, but it still wasn't enough because of the bad decisions by the front office. When you run a team, you have to think about these things. And if you are Joe Sy, how are you not thinking about the Nets and whether or not they made a wrong move? The Nets are a franchise where if you think about what they've done over the past, I don't know, 10 years, it's reminded me a lot of the San Diego Padres. They bring in a great group of players. They don't win, they get rid of them. Then they bring in another great group of players. Do Nets fans remember the cover of Sports Illustrated or the major deal that happened a few years ago when they brought in Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett? Do you remember that huge trade when the Nets mortgaged their future and it, for a bunch of old guys from Boston and it was an unmitigated disaster and the Nets had to start completely over and they did. And then they traded a bunch of all the picks from starting over and then got a big three and now they're doing it again. And in the meantime, they have zero rings. If you are a Nets fan and I'm talking to you, War Dog, do not be despondent. Look at what the Celtics did when they traded Garnett and Pierce. Have you ever heard of guys named Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown? It is impossible for anyone in the media to stand up today. I want someone to do it. You all require us to give grades. Give a grade for this trade. The Nets get a B minus. The Suns get an A minus. How exactly are you judging this trade today? Do you look back at the Nets trade and, tra and grade it differently today than you did when they made it with the Celtics? Do you think the Celtics got the wrong end of that deal? How do you know who the Nets are going to draft? How do you know what they're gonna do with these draft picks? How do you know what the Phoenix Suns are gonna be like without these players and with Durant, will he be hurt, will he not be hurt? Kevin Durant played 129 games since he got traded. And it's not that he didn't wanna be vaxxed. It's not that he likes anti-Semitic movies. He just has a body at 34 years old that can't play every day. Forget load management. We're talking about get me on the floor management. Now, granted, when he played, the Nets were 40 games over 500, but what's the difference? The Nets were not successful under Durant, notwithstanding they had a semi-deep playoff run where Durant's foot was on the line and they lost to the eventual champion, Milwaukee Bucks. But I'm not gonna say that Durant was a success with the Nets. I'm not gonna say Harden and Irving were a success with the Nets. No chance, toilet pants. And the reason I'm not willing to do it is I'm only willing to say something successful when you are competing for a title. Get me to the finals. And then if you don't win, I'm still gonna call you a failure because it's all about the rings. So you've got Matt Ishbia who's saying, I'm buying myself a ring as much as I can. What no one's gonna mention is he just picked up $68 million in luxury tax. $68 million. How many owners and how many teams can do that?
Get ready, ladies and gentlemen, and whatever else. Get ready. This is sports today. This is what happens when billionaires buy teams and they don't care about the collective bargaining agreement. They don't care about the luxury tax. What do you think, Steve Cohn has a monopoly on not caring about the luxury tax? How about Matt Ishbia? $68 million, no problem. We already talked about many times over the last week what happens when owners buy teams, the tax benefits they get, the depreciation they get, the losses they're willing to take. That's not taken into account when CBAs are negotiated and tax thresholds are made and penalties are agreed to. Billionaires are taking over sports and if the collective bargaining agreements do not start reflecting that, you are gonna have more and more examples where more and more players are going and being traded within their contracts and more and more owners who have reckless indifference toward any of these thresholds. Now, billionaires are an interesting bunch. When you spend enough time in a room with enough billionaires, and I've done that in Major League Baseball in the room, you realize that they all have their different foibles, their different insecurities. They all have their thin skin. They're incredibly competitive, incredibly egomaniacal. That is in large part, I mean, you could study it, I'm no Freud, but you can study billionaires and say, how do you get there? You have to have certain personality traits. There are certain threads that are very much in common. Draymond Green had a very funny line yesterday or two days ago where he called Joe Psy billionaire petty because he would not trade Westbrook uh, 4869. Billionaire petty because he would not trade, Joe Psy would not trade Irving to the Lakers. He said, I'm told that they would not trade him to the Lakers. That's what I call billionaire petty. That is Joe Psy saying, listen, man, That's where he wanna go. I don't care if they offer the best deal or not, I can be petty too. And billionaire petty is a different level of petty and you can't compete with billionaire petty. Draymond Green is 100% correct. You cannot compete with billionaire petty. Do you think that billionaires are petty to the point where they will do something that will hurt their franchise just to hurt someone who's hurt them? Hell yeah. You think the Westbrook and two first round picks was a better deal than what the Mavericks had for Kyrie Irving? Time will tell. We'll see how Dinwiddie does. But all of that said, I've seen billionaire owners do it. And here's how it happens. It's very subtle, actually. But here's how it happens. They're not going to call themselves petty. Instead, what they do is you present them, that's the job of a team president, is you present your owner with different scenarios. We've got this that we can do, we've got that that we can do. We believe that this is the best course of action. We do that in sales, we do that in marketing, we do that in player personnel, because owners are involved and they wanna know what's what's the slogan, what are the giveaways, they know everything going on with their organization which is why it drives me crazy when owners have what they call plausible deniability, which is neither plausible nor deniability. Oh, I had no idea we had a bad workplace culture. I had no idea that we were looking up women's skirts and having naked calendars of employees. Who knew, who knew? It's ridiculous. So billionaire petty goes like this. You present scenarios to the owner and you explain because it's your job and you know how to do your job, which is the best scenario for your team. The owner says, but what about that one? 
And you're supposed to know as chief of staff or president why the owner's saying that. And the owner is saying it because he's got a reason that he wants to do one thing versus the other. And your job is to get that owner off of that bone. Because when they put their jaws into something, that's how they've been successful. They see it, they want it, they get it, and they don't take no for an answer. Did Joe Sy purposefully not trade Kyrie Irving to the Lakers? And then two days later decided, you know what? That was petty of me. Now I'm gonna trade him to the Suns where Durant just sat and told me he wanted to go? Could he have been petty just toward Irving because he blamed Irving for the downfall of the Nets' big three? Meanwhile, Durant's the one who demanded a trade before the season. Durant's the one who said it's either Nash, Marks, or me. Durant's the one who had to be talked off the ledge and otherwise you weren't going to pay him. And then a few months later, Durant walks into your office after you traded Irving, who, by the way, was not helpful, and says, I think it's better if you trade me. And by the way, wouldn't mind going to the Suns because they're having the Super Bowl this week, and the only way I can get into Sky Harbor right now is privately. And I know Ishby is gonna fly me there. You think Joe Sy changed his mind that quickly? Yeah, it's incredibly entirely likely. Kyrie Irving upon the trade of Kevin Durant already had a comment saying, I'm glad he's out of there. Really? That's like leaving a burning building and leaving your pet behind and having your pet rescued by someone else while you're getting a massage already and saying, oh, I'm glad the cat got out of there. If you wanted the cat out of there, why don't you go get him? Why weren't you helpful? Kyrie Irving's the one who set fire to the Nets building. Glad he got out of there. What's the choice? Josiah had no choice but to rebuild his team. I feel sorry for Nets fans right now. It's gonna work out in the end. I ask you to think of this phrase as you wake up and you're listening to this and you're slightly despondent. It all works out in the end. And if it's not working out, it's just not the end. And that is the philosophy that I have when things aren't going well. I just say, it'll be fine. It'll all work out. You know who it won't work out for right now? The Phoenix Suns. Chris Paul, not young. Kevin Durant, not young and injured. Booker, some injury issues. Aiton, doesn't like his coach. It's a big four, it's a good four, and a packed Western Conference. Wait to see when I tell you something's gonna happen. If it does, I'll revisit it. If it doesn't, I'll revisit it. Book this one. The Phoenix Suns will not make the conference finals. The West is so loaded with good teams, and I don't mean the Lakers. So many good teams in the West that the Suns will not make it to the conference finals, and Matt Ishbia will walk into the postseason owners meeting with his hands over his eyes. So the whole not working out thing that we just talked about, when the Oklahoma City Thunder signed Russell Westbrook to a five-year, $205 million deal in 2017, would you say that contract has worked out? Russell Westbrook won an MVP and played for the Thunder in 2017, and then got traded to the Rockets, then got traded to the Wizards, then got traded to the Lakers, and yesterday got traded to the Jazz. One player, four trades, 
no rings, but $205 million. The minute LeBron did not get Irving, it was very clear to me that they could not, Rob Palinka could not, after watching him break the record, watching how bad their team is, no defense, he could not keep Westbrook on that team. He's been trying to trade Westbrook for so long. Funny coincidence happened during the LeBron game against the Thunder. Word came out that Westbrook and Darvin Ham, the coach, who I can't say has been a successful coach in his first season, they got into a fight during halftime. Not uncommon for coaches and players to yell at each other or for managers and players to do it in the clubhouse, get in each other's faces. I've seen it. It can be scary when big men are talking to small men. I've seen that too. But once that happens, a change has to be made. Because if you've got a player and a coach who are at loggerheads, your job as GM or president is to evaluate the situation, decide whether or not they can live together. And if they can't live together, then you have to make a change. And you're not gonna make a change with your coach who you just brought in, you're gonna make a change with the player. So look at the trade. The Lakers get rid of Restbrook. The Utah Jazz take him and they're gonna buy him out. He's gonna be a free agent, don't get me wrong. You see the trade details right here on Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel where you are, thank you. You see D'Angelo Russell going to the Lakers, Beasley. They're all there. Are the Lakers now competing for a championship? Does LeBron James wake up and say, well, at 3.01 p.m. today Eastern when the trade deadline passes, we are primed. Right now, they're not even in the play-in tournament. That may not be accurate. They're close to not being in the play-in tournament. LeBron James look at that, looks at that trade and says, what did I do? I put together my own big three. Anthony Davis didn't get up when I, look at that picture, by the way. Anthony Davis did not stand up when LeBron broke the record. He looked despondent. Was he taken in the moment? Was he emotional about the moment? Or was he not happy for LeBron? Is there an issue there? We won't know because they're never gonna tell you the truth. The only one who knows are people inside that locker room. Russell Westbrook, six turnovers in his last game, a loss to the Thunder, see you later. That situation became so untenable that they had no choice but to move on. That partnership in Los Angeles, that team that they put together did not work. That team in Brooklyn did not work. All of the people trying to copy James, Wade, and Bosch, how are they doing so far? Who won the title last year? Warriors, did they bring in a big three? I believe it was Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole, and this guy, Steph Curry, Draymond Green. Hmm, okay, let's go the year before. Who won the title that year? That was a good one, wasn't it? In 2021, the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, that's Giannis, Middleton. No, Lopez. All right, how about the year before? Ah, the Lakers in the bubble. LeBron got his championship. Nope, that was not, was that the big three? How about the year before? Toronto, let's bring in Kawhi Leonard. Let him play for a year, try to win a title. They won a title on some crazy three rim shot over Philadelphia and they get a title. Let's go back and see how the NBA is operating. Eventually, team presidents are gonna have to figure this out, aren't they? And owners are gonna have to realize that stacking your team and letting players decide who they wanna play with because who they like to hang out with on the road is not the way to win championships. Players don't know how to put teams together. 
GMs know how to put teams together. Team presidents know how to let GMs put teams together. You are going to see some significant changes in the NBA after this season, and this is why. Owners, no matter how rich they are, no matter how petty they are, no matter how much they're willing to pay in taxes, there are gonna be owners that look and say, my God, we failed. Mark Cuban, I traded for Kyrie Irving. I got a superstar for Luca. We're out in the first round. Ishbia, I brought in Kevin Durant. We didn't make the conference finals. You watch, it's gonna happen. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we gotta do a break. We gotta pay for this. Someone's gotta pay Coca. When we come back, we're gonna review Arctic with Mads Mikkelsen that I just saw that came out for me on Netflix this week. But I also, I'm gonna talk about Roger Goodell. Roger Goodell did something yesterday during Super Bowl week that's gonna make you laugh because it made me laugh too. We'll be right back. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. I'm David Sampson. Matt Coke and I bring you shows. Today we're live because it was too interesting for us not to go live. Usually it's Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Please rate, review, subscribe. Tell your friends about us. Come join us because we have fun every single day we're here for you. So I still watch a movie every day. I don't know why I have to say that. You should know that by now. Keep giving me your suggestions. Can someone explain to me algorithms? Because I consider myself a relatively smart guy and I went deep into math, deep into calculus, all through college, economic statistics, the whole package. I can't quite figure out how Netflix knows that I like Mads Mikkelsen. I don't ever say like or dislike when they say, give me a thumbs up. I don't rate anything I watch. Now they're watching me watch stuff. They know that I liked another round. Maybe they listen to nothing personal. I just don't understand the algorithm of how these streaming services tell me what I wanna watch when I don't give them my viewing habits. Although they can see my viewing habits, I guess, but I'm, I'm never rating anything. I turn on Netflix the other day and there's Mads Mikkelsen in a movie called Arctic that I assumed was a new movie, which really pisses me off when I assume that movies are new and then I see after I've watched it, 2019, but I've never seen it on Netflix before. I've never seen it anywhere or heard of it anywhere. So it's new to me. Do you remember back in the uh, 70s? <laughs> There's only like 30% of the audience. And those are good demographics. We appreciate that. But about 30% of the audience can answer that question. Do you remember back in the 70s when the TV shows, there, there happened to be TV shows on networks and they happened to have seasons, right? A mid-season finale would be in December. Then they'd take off and then do another season. It's sort of what Survivor does now. And they would play repeats 
of shows. That's what would be on. Tuesday at 8 would be a repeat of Happy Days, let's say, that was shown a few months earlier. And what the slogan was for NBC was, if you haven't seen it, it's new to you. I love that. I've loved that ever since. Does anyone else remember that? Well, I had not seen Arctic, so it was new to me. So the old story of, of your fears coming to life and having that interest you greatly is what Arctic is. Obviously a fear of plane crashes, not ideal, especially given my family history with plane crashes. Then you're stuck, no one's finding you, and you have to figure out how to live on your own. And you've got to find a way to escape and you're in the middle of a veldt and it's winter and you're cold and you have no food and you have to find a way to go ice fishing. And then you get rescued, except the rescuers die trying to rescue you, maybe. In the Arctic, Mads Mikkelsen carries this movie. The script is not long because there's not a lot of talking. The entire cast is three people and one of them is dead. I loved it. Mads Mikkelsen, go watch a double feature of his, another round, which I already reviewed and suggested to you, and then watch Arctic. And if you want to, you can watch Casino Royale. He's the guy who tears blood. It comes dripping out of his eye in Casino Royale at the poker table. How badass is that? So it's Super Bowl week. It's shocking. The Super Bowl is in 72 hours. Well, more, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. 72 plus 10, 82 hours. We will be watching the Super Bowl. Roger Goodell does what other commissioners do during their moments. Rob Manfred does it during the World Series. You meet the media. When commissioners meet the media, they have a staff of PR people. Their sole job is to prepare the commissioner to answer questions that will be coming from the media. That's it. Here's the topics. Here's what you're gonna be asked. Here's what we want you to answer. Period. If someone asks a follow-up, you go back to what your answer is. Here are your talking points. We're gonna rehearse it and you're gonna get it. Last year, we did an entire segment about an NFL reporter, a guy who worked for NFL Network. I wanna say his name is Jim Trotter. Every, side, every time I say Jim Trotter, I'm reminded of Jay Trotter, my pseudonym when I was checking into hotels and baseball. He is the uh, Let It Ride, Richard Dreyfuss, his character name is Jay Trotter. I think his name is Jim Trotter. He asked a question last year about diversity in the newsroom of NFL.com or NFL Network and how producers and people in the news and editors, there's no person of color, there's nobody who's black, and the players are 60 to 70% black. Roger Goodell a year ago said, we're on it. I promise there will be progress. He meets the media yesterday, same question, same guy. He starts quoting James Baldwin, bless his soul, and says, I'm gonna judge you not by what I, uh, four, eight, six, niner. I'm not gonna judge you by what you say, I'm gonna judge you by what you do. Roger Goodell had said it's gonna change. A year later, nothing changed. What do you have to say for yourself? Was this a surprise question that there'd be a question about diversity? Was it a surprise that Trotter would ask the same question? Was anyone shocked that he'd have to deal with the fact that black coaches are being let go, that there's a lawsuit from Brian Flores and all of the above? Is any of this surprising? Roger Goodell sat there, strategically was not wearing a tie, right? He's in Phoenix, Valley of the Sun. He's got the open shirt. He's acting all relaxed. He's leaning back. 
crossing his legs, and he starts fumbling, pun not intended. His answer was incredibly unclear, except the part where he, where he said, I still feel like there's more and better work ahead of us. There is progress, but it's never enough. That's the pad answer for diversity, except he had an opportunity to actually answer this one better. Well, I appreciate this question. Let me tell you what's happened in the last year. In the last year, we've set up programs where we have hired 40% more people of color in jobs at the network at NFL.com and at, they are working their way up toward the top. So you're gonna see changes at the editorial level. You're gonna see changes at the management level, but we're not just placing one person there. We're filling a pipeline and filling a pipeline guarantees that we will have sustained diversity, which has been the goal of the NFL from the beginning. And that's the goal we fell short on. And I'm not gonna do a quick fix. I'm gonna do a permanent fix. Next question. He didn't do it. I got a question. How are the referees doing? Cause I think they suck. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. Our referees are amazing. As a matter of fact, are you talking about the championship game? Well, they were right to stop the clock when they did. That happens all the time. That wasn't unusual. The referees are doing great. I like that. The commissioner has to defend the umpires, has to defend the referees. That's what commissioners do. They have to take bullets, not literally, for the owners. That's what commissioners do. That's why they get paid so much. But when you're asked about the referees, when you're asked about anything in life, just a tiny suggestion. When you're wrong about something, you can admit you're wrong. When you don't know something, you can admit you don't know it. Isn't it liberating when someone asks you a question to say, I don't know. How many people go through your day today, because we're gonna be done with the show in nine minutes, and then I'm gonna go do Levitard, and then I'm gonna go through my day. I'm gonna tell you tomorrow the number of times that I asked a question of someone and their response was total Hogwarts, and they were unwilling to say, I don't know, and I know for a fact they didn't know. Do that, do that today. Hey, is that bolognese have pork in it? No. Are you sure? Let me check. How much did you just say? I don't know. Referees. The other thing that was interesting about what Roger Goodell had to deal with is something that I wanna to mention to you that is uh, something the NFL is very concerned about. And they spun it yesterday in a way that should make you smile. They said, injuries are down. Concussions are up, but injuries are down and they wanted you to focus on the fact that injuries are down. They didn't want you to focus on the fact that concussions were skyrocketing because they put a doctor out in front of the media and they said, of course, concussions are skyrocketing. And here's what the doctor was told to say, and it was a beauty. Concussions are skyrocketing because our diagnosis and our protocols have changed. That means we're now identifying more injuries as concussions than we did before. What he didn't mention is those were all still concussions. It doesn't matter if the concussions are diagnosed or not. It doesn't matter if you're developing a new helmet for the quarterback or not. It doesn't matter if you're calling roughing the quarterback when you put a feather on Tom Brady in the broadcast booth. None of that matters. What matters is the reality of football is that players are strong, fast, big, and will concuss you. And concussions completely screw you up later in life when you're no longer playing football. And the NFL wants to turn a blind eye because they'd rather pay settlements and not care about it. N-O-P, 
not our problem. I used to love that word when I was running a team. Don't bother me with that. That's NOP. Once in a while, you do an NMP, not my problem. You can't sell tickets, find a better way. You're only selling wins and losses, change the way you do it. NMP. I didn't really say that about sales because I always took it personally that our attendance was low, but there are many things that people say during that, during a day or during work. Hey, that's not my issue. Not my problem. Don't want to deal with it. The NFL has a major injury problem because if you look at what parents are doing, the pipelines are going to start drying up. Because if you're a parent, do you want your kid playing football? If you have a choice, is that the direction you want to go? There is major spin going on now with injuries at the professional level. Think about baseball. No problem having your kids play baseball. If they want to throw curveballs when they're young and they have stoop and they're stupid and the coaches are coaching them and the private coaches are coaching them and they're spinning the ball when they shouldn't and their elbows fall off, their arms fall off, they're going to be just fine. There's life after UCL. There's life after you can't be a major league baseball player. When you're dealing with a concussion, your quality of life, your ability to have a life, it is diminished in a way that doesn't happen in baseball. It doesn't happen in basketball. You tear up your knee. You have arthritis, you need a hip replacement. All of those things are doable. The foot, National Football League has a major problem. And Roger Goodell was stuck facing the media and was so unprepared that all I kept thinking about was who's surrounding him? How are they letting him answer questions and spin stories the way he's spinning it that are absolutely devoid of any credibility? But again, what do we care? We loved the World Cup in Qatar, didn't we? Nothing, personal pick of the day. Nailed it. The Mavericks had Kyrie Irving making his debut. Luca was quoted as saying, amazing, outstanding, superb. I love that guy. Luca didn't play. The Mavs were getting eight points from the Clippers. They beat him. We're 18 and 21. How do you think that uh, Steve Ballmer feels? losing to Mark Cuban. Talk about billionaires and pettiness and anger. You got no Luka, you got to beat the Mavericks, especially when you've got your big two playing and Leonard and Georgia actually playing together now. That was a game where there wasn't load management. We are 18 and 21. Tonight is the night that I told you LeBron will break the scoring record. That wait to see was a dud, wasn't it? Now it's just another game after the deadline. I, it's, it's very hard to bet games after a trade deadline because teams, very, very stressful day for all players on all teams, for executives. The NBA trade deadline is at 3 p.m. today, Eastern. We told you that every team will have a meeting. The Lakers made all their trades. All of those players who they just got for Westbrook, they will not be ready. There will not be time for them to play today. They're playing the Milwaukee Bucks, where I thought it'd be perfect for LeBron to break the record. The letdown that the Lakers will have post all the attention of the scoring championship, but the absolute exuberance in getting rid of Westbrook, that's something. The problem is they're playing the Bucks. Now, can you imagine a world where the Bucks are favored by five and a half over a LeBron-led team at home? I just can't even. I mean, LeBron is, as I told you yesterday, the second greatest player of all time. But can you imagine a LeBron-led team is a five-and-a-half-point underdog at home? Does he look at that, and he does, and say to himself, my God, are we screwed? Does he look at the trade that happened with the Phoenix Suns and say, we may forget like home court advantage. 
we're first round losers if we even make the playoffs. We're taking the Bucks five and a half over the Lakers. I truly believe that it is going to happen. Bucks five and a half over the Lakers. So I close the show by talking about the Phoenix Suns again and reminding you to focus on this as you're evaluating the Kevin Durant trade, as you're waking up and thinking about what happened with the Nets and how it could have gone so wrong so quickly. When you're so excited that the Phoenix Suns have another rich owner, there's another billionaire who's willing to go all in, who's willing to go for it. Just remember the way behavioral patterns work. That by definition, if all teams are going for it at once, half of them are gonna not even finish at 500, forget winning the title. All but one are not gonna win the title. And one thing about wealthy owners, one thing that's always been clear is that they're not gonna do something stupid over and over and expect a different result. They're gonna realize quickly that their plan didn't work and they need another plan. That's called what the rebuild is or the retool. That's called when you take your superstars, you realize that you put together a group of players, you didn't grow them by yourselves, you didn't scout them by yourselves, you didn't develop them by yourselves, you don't know how they're gonna play together, you put them all together, they don't win games, and you say, wow, we're gonna make a change there too. That's all the Phoenix Suns are doing. They're bringing Durant in and they're assuming that he can lead them right now to a title when all indications are, despite the fact that they're now favorites, odds on favorites to win the conference championship this year, very hard to put a group of players together and just have it work, have it mesh that quickly. So while we all hope and pray that we all can cheer for a team who has Steve Cohen as the owner or Matt Ishby as the owner, sometimes you get what you wish for, but most of the time you don't. The number of fan bases who are unhappy is the super majority. Owners, no matter how rich they are, will eventually stand up and say, you know what? It's just business. We're making some changes. This is nothing personal. Mm -hmm.